Ecclesiastes. We're going to read from Ecclesiastes chapter 2, the first 11 verses. I, and that is the, the preacher, the author of Ecclesiastes writing there, said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. We stop reading there. I wonder, brothers and sisters in Christ, do you have any greater goal in life than to enjoy the ride? Are you living for anything beyond the next fun weekend? Are you actively pursuing anything in life beyond the next emotional or relational or chemical high. Or, you know, you're more of maybe a long-term thinker. Are you living for anything more than that day when you will get to retire? Ideally, retire in comfort. What are we living for? I think... If we're being honest, many of us would have to admit that our objective in life is basically just this. To experience as many pleasurable things as possible. We're just living life avoiding the things that make us feel bad. 
and embracing or seeking out the things that make us feel good. We don't have a vision for ourselves, you know, in which we are seeking to become a a certain kind of person or to achieve a, a certain kind of mission or goal. We just want to avoid pain and embrace pleasure as much as possible until we die. And if we are doing that, if we are guilty of that, if this kind of just pursuit of pleasure and good times is our life's goal, our highest aim, all we're really living for, you know, deliberately or non-deliberately, well, the teacher of Ecclesiastes would like to have some words with us. As someone who has been there and done that, he's here to warn us, teach us, that living for pleasure will not satisfy. He warns us, you can devote your life pursuing all the good things this world has to offer. And some of them are quite nice. But guess what? Even if you should be one of the lucky ones to succeed, one of the ones to make your millions, to get your vacations, to have the dream house, even if you succeed in this life pursuing pleasure beyond your wildest dreams, you are going to find yourself unsatisfied. It will not be enough unending dopamine hits to your brain aren't going to fulfill you or satisfy you. In the end, like so much else, that pursuit, that idea of what life is about is going to prove to be empty and vain. I'm preaching God's word this afternoon as it comes to us in Ecclesiastes 2, verses 1 to 11. Using this theme. Life is about more than just seeking pleasure. Now, if you've had the opportunity to to read through the book of Ecclesiastes, at least read through some large parts of it, you will get the impression over and over again that the teacher, the writer, isn't particularly satisfied with life. But it's important to understand, it's not for a lack of trying. It's not because he's had a hard life or a terrible life. Now he tells us he's, he's tried it all. To find satisfaction, to find meaning in all sorts of different things. Including in pleasure, in just seeking the thing that feels good. That's why he begins, verse 1, he, he relates how he told himself, Come now! I will test you with pleasure. He's speaking to himself. Enjoy yourself. Now, to be fair, the the term used for pleasure, it can refer to kind of two different kinds of pleasure. You know, on the one hand, you could say it refers to kind of an honest, you know, simple enjoyment of good things. Or it can refer to a more lighthearted, 
hearted, frivolous, self-indulgent kind of thing. You might say it's the difference between, you know, the pleasure that that you might have at the end of a a hard day's work where you look back on all the things you accomplished, you know, maybe you're in your home or on your job site or in the office, you're like, that was a good day. That's one kind of pleasure. Then, of course, there's another kind of pleasure, you know, the kind that you could have if you have quite a bit to drink. You just feel kind of like you're riding a bit of a high. We're told the teacher, he first pursued the latter. He first tried the partying. He sought pleasure in in banquets, in relaxing, and simply trying to have a good time. No, ignore the big picture. Enjoy the moment. But he says this proved to be meaningless or, or unsatisfying, incomplete. This is a good warning to all of us who are just living for the next big weekend party. Warning to all of us who just want to have, you know, a good time. That won't be enough. I mean, maybe now. You know, maybe you're, you're young, late teens, early 20s, and, and you think, yeah, just all I want out of life is to, to have a good Friday night again and again. That's enough for me. You're going to find that doesn't always continue. The teacher, he tried to take it easy. He conclude, laughter is madness or, or senseless. Pleasure accomplishes nothing. And they look, constantly seeking the next good time is not the answer. You will never have a good enough time to make your life whole, to make your life what it ought to be in God's grand plan. Achieve the, the greatest high. You'll simply be left wanting more. If you don't believe me, think about what happens to those who, who choose or who chase. You know, the, the immediate artificial pleasures offered by things like oxycodone or codeine, fentanyl, cocaine, heroin, meth. You know, take your legal or illegal drug of choice. Think about those who spend their lives chasing the the neurological highs that only those substances can give. Think about what their lives are like and end up being like. Those people who, in a sense you might get to say, get to experience pleasure beyond anything others of us know. Neither are they not effectively doomed to become some of the most miserable human beings on earth. You don't need to know many drug addicts to know the way that that, that need for pleasure, to experience that next high, ends up consuming them, owning them, becoming the one all-encompassing need of their life. And the price is every other good thing that life might have in store. Safe to say, simply getting to experience pleasure is not enough. 
But let's be fair. Maybe you say, you listen to that, you're like, okay, that's not me. I am not a crack addict or a meth head. I'd never touch this stuff. No, I'm not tempted to go there at all. It's fine. A couple of stiff drinks on a regular basis. That's all I need. That's my happy place. Well, the teacher tried that. Notes in verse 3 of our text. I, I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My, my heart's still guiding me in wisdom and how to lay hold on folly until I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. The teacher, you might say, he, he drank to his heart's content. Perhaps not to the state of drunkenness. You know, he, he claims he was still in control. His, his wisdom was guiding him. You might say he enjoyed alcohol in the most responsible fashion possible. But what good did that do him in the long run? He noted even the alcohol didn't give his life meaning. And that's to not even speak of the irresponsible use of alcohol, which can destroy you and hurt everyone around you. But of course, it's also to understand that the teacher didn't merely seek after things which bring about, you know, a, a momentary sense of, of pleasure or accomplishment. Now he also pursued far grander things, bigger goals. Accomplishments which could stand for generations, leave a legacy. He accomplished works of which to be proud, telling us, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks, planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to to water the, the forest of growing trees. He made himself paradise on earth. I mean that somewhat literally. Now the Greek word for, or sorry, the Hebrew word for, for park, that's pardes, related to a Babylonian word, pardesu, from which we get a Greek word, paradesos, from which we get an English word, paradise. When the teacher made those gardens and parks, you might say he sought to recapture what was lost at the beginning. Now, he wasn't making vegetable gardens out there. He was making orchards, like the ones we read about in Genesis chapter 2, where the Lord God planted a garden and made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye, good for food. Well-watered trees, as there was a river flowing from Eden. The teacher, you might say, he, he surrounded himself with the, the kind of environment enjoyed by Adam and Eve in the very beginning. He did all he could, in a way, to obtain something of the, the very good situation that mankind once experienced, insofar as one can do that in this fallen world. You know, it's interesting, after Adam was placed in the Garden of Eden, the, God brought the creatures of the land and the heavens to him to, to see what the man would name him. 
A man would name them as kind of an act of, of dominion. Not unlike the teacher telling us, you know, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my household. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. And he tells us, I gathered for myself silver and gold, the the treasure of of kings and provinces, all the, the money in the world. Echoing the Garden of Eden being planted close to the the land of Havilah with its gold and delium. Wealth, riches, money, power, position, authority. The preacher possessed it in abundance. You might say he regained the garden. But the problem is the garden was empty of what truly made it special. He rebuilt the garden, but it still lacked the one whose presence in the garden had made it truly a paradise on earth. Large homes filled with gorgeous kitchens, board and batten, accent walls, Multiple car garages or whatever appeals to your tastes will not grant meaning or true satisfaction to your life. Fast cars, jack trucks, big screen TVs, high performance computers or video game consoles, whatever you like. Designer shoes by Jimmy Choo or purses made by Gucci. A wardrobe containing the latest styles. You can have it all and find that you have nothing of real significance. The teacher, he had singers, both men and women, live musical performances, you might say, whenever he desired. He had many concubines, the the delights of the Son of Man. Something like that. The Hebrew is a bit unclear. This implies the preacher had the, the best of something. Perhaps he possessed a harem. Perhaps he simply had uh, one most desirable woman. The way his list of accomplishments ends with this reference to most desirable concubines or most desirable wife. might say somewhat reflects that final blessing given to Adam in the Garden of Eden where he, he gets a wife who is his perfect match and companion. Regardless, the the teacher implies that, look, even other people, even the the joys of marriage, that's not going to give your life ultimate meaning. Even family, you might say, is not going to give your life purpose. What does the teacher teach us as he looks back on his pursuit of pleasure, the good things this world has to offer? He sees it's not enough. Paradise cannot be regained in this life. Now that doesn't mean it can't be regained or even surpassed. For we know one. We often talk about one who grants us 
access once again to a very real paradise. Who ensures us a place in that new Jerusalem that is coming? Where a river once again waters countless trees. And those trees produce amazing fruits. You know, sometimes it's said that the story of the Bible, it begins in a garden and it ends in a city. But we must understand, this city that we anticipate is no modern concrete jungle. In Revelation, the Apostle John describes the paradise that awaits, saying a river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, the middle of the streets of the city. On either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. See, like the teacher, we are going to find ourselves in life longing for more. We are going to find ourselves sooner or later recognizing that this life is not satisfying and that the things that our culture tells us to pursue it's as if you just have this, you'll be happy. If you just have that, you'll be satisfied. That is, in fact, a lie. Because this world does not fully contain what our hearts most long for. The God who made it. The God who rules over it. What made paradise amazing in the beginning was the fact that in it, Adam and Eve got to dwell with God, meet with God. And so we can seek to make this world a paradise all we want. But it's not going to completely satisfy him because what our hearts ultimately crave is the person who was encountered there. The teacher, he tells us, I became great, surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. His words, they remind me of a study that I once heard, which looked at, at wealth and personal satisfaction. One of the conclusions of that study was this. Wealth only makes us happier if we are wealthier than our peers. Wealth does sometimes make people happy. But it's not the amount. It's the knowledge that they have more wealth than the people around them. That's how our minds work. See, it doesn't matter if we bring home 50000 a year, 100000 a year, 200000 a million a year. We don't care about how much we, we bring in. We're not wired that way. We're not really, you know, up for appreciating the objective. What makes us happy is having more than the people around us. We are all like Adam and Eve, who could not be satisfied with the paradise that was their home 
knowing that God surpassed them. This is also foolishness. Now the teacher, he managed to keep a certain amount of perspective, even in the midst of of all this. I suspect most of us do not manage that. Now in the parable of the seeds, Jesus warns us that there will be many who hear the good news, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. So many of us, upon hearing the greatest news possible, get distracted on what is right around us. You have to give the teacher of Ecclesiastes this much credit. He was able to see the the vanity, the pointlessness of so many of the things which many of us will spend our whole lives, sadly, pursuing. The teacher had the wisdom to acknowledge the hopelessness of trying to find meaning and satisfaction in the pleasures of this life. Let us learn from him in that regard. Let us consider that that God in his sovereign plan has, has given us these words, allowed the teacher to live his life of wealth and indulgence and pleasure. that we might know how to live better, that we might hear and learn and think. Let us have the wisdom to seek more, to recognize that in Jesus Christ we are given more. Let us have the wisdom to worship the one who became greater than all those in Jerusalem when he died before their eyes upon the cross. Let the empty pursuits of the the teacher in Ecclesiastes, the teacher who reigned over Jerusalem, lead us to worship Jesus Christ who died just outside the holy city. Let us recognize that in Jesus Christ we have one who is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. And let us see that in him, at last, we can have what the teacher and what our own hearts long for. In him, we have one who gives eternal, meaningful significance to all our lives under the sun. Because our lives do not just end at death. And even though when we die, we might have to leave everything of this world behind. By Christ's grace, Christ's power, we ourselves might go on to live. Having learned the lessons of this world. Having learned to be more content living with God in his pleasure. Now don't get me wrong, the teacher isn't denying that there can be pleasurable things in this life. 
He tells us, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I, I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. He's saying there basically, look, there are things in life you can enjoy and, and derive a certain amount of pleasure from. We can take pleasure in a, a job well done, in achieving goals and accomplishments. The problem is when we seek to make these things our gods. When we look to accomplishments or wealth or alcohol or entertainment or relationships or whatever have you to make this life worth it. To give this life true meaning and significance. It will not do that. The good things of this life will not bring the satisfaction we crave. We will always find ourselves longing for more. This world is not what our hearts need. This world itself, it is in need of renewal, recreation. Before it can be that place that we long to be. And so we must look to Jesus Christ who gives us not only that home that we long for, but himself we truly need. We look to the Savior who allows us to be more, not just experience more. We look to the Savior who can tell us that, that both the good things of this life and the bad things of this life are all serving together to prepare us for what God has in store. In him, we look forward to paradise. In him, we look forward to that day where we will see for ourselves the face of God and walk in his glory. God will be our light. We will live and reign with him forever and ever. Having obtained what was once lost, and so much more. This is what we look forward to, beloved. This is what our hearts truly long for. This is what we need to pursue. Not the vain, the temporary, the this weekend, this year, this life. We need to look to Jesus Christ who breathes full significance into all that we do. We need to look to Christ who gives us far more than this world has to offer. Amen.